become the home of the afraid Afraid of the world, afraid of the truth Afraid of each other This ain't the country my grandfather fought for But I still see the hate he fought against All right, everybody, Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 30 of Justified Pursuit. As always, alongside my friend, my co-host, the good counselor, Chisholm Cook. Episode 30, man, I guess uh, this little passion project is uh, not by a, a uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants operation, which who knew who knew how it would turn out, but still rocking and rolling. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, you know, 30 is a, I'd say, a mark of some serious consistency. We're that's more than half a year in terms of uh, if you if you count it as like a podcast a week. And I think we're I think we started in August, right? And it's May, yeah. so we're coming up on about three fourths of a year. So yeah, we've we've done a pretty good job of trying to keep this up close to weekly, and uh, especially here lately, we missed a week or two here and there for various things. But I'm proud of our effort so far, and I think we're in a groove. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, first thing though, because I'm sitting here drinking a Topo Chico and. Just being in Turkey Camp with you a couple of weeks ago, you drink Topo Chico's more than anyone I know, but I'm I'm sure you know they're owned by Woka Cola. So this might be the uh, the last case of Topo Chico I buy because I did not know that until recently. Yeah, I hear you. Um, much like how you can't quit the NBA, no matter how woke they go, mm-hmm. I can't I can't quit my Topo Chico. Um, I've never really let my politics control my emotions and behavior so much that I'm willing to forego uh, prefer, prefer, preferred consumer products on account of it. But at the same time, I think I just saw last or heard last week that uh, Coca-Cola has suspended their anti-racism, um, uh, you know, what, critical race theory teaching yeah, no, program. No, it's not anti-racism. It's white racism. Well, I'm just using the word they call it. Right. right? Uh, I agree. There's nothing anti-racist about anti-racism. Uh, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is deli- it, it, the the good thing about people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, who's like he, you know, he literally wrote the book. I think I mentioned on one of the prior shows, how to be an anti-racist, mm-hmm. is that he's very honest about what it is. It is deliberate reverse discrimination. He has a quote in there. The way to fix past discrimination is with present discrimination, and the way to p- fix present discrimination is with future discrimination. In other words, we're looking to flip the tables, y'all. Um, I can't say I don't get it. Okay, sure, you know, like our history is is abundantly clear in this country. Uh, forgive uh, those Americans who uh, aren't interested in abandoning Martin Luther King's dream just yet. <laughs> right. Anyway. Yeah. But uh, that being said, like it, it did seem to work. Coca-Cola has suspended that program. And I, I think even, uh, you know, kind of temporarily suspended the the executive in charge of having uh, pressed it. So uh, they're getting the message. So maybe I should do a better job of boycotting when uh, even my favorite uh, carbonated water. Uh, what well, is the best? There's no doubt about that. Of... Like, uh, you know, it. you can open it the right. night before, make yourself a nice ranch water, a little tequila, topo and lime. And if you don't finish that bottle, I just, you know, leave it sitting out and walk by the next day and take a swig out of it. And it's still fizzy. And I can't, there's no other one that's like that. But uh, the difference between me and you is I, 
I feel dirty and admit it when I watch the NBA. I don't think you really feel that dirty when you're pounding your Tupo Chicos. No, I've, it's been on my mind. I've been thinking about it. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have my normal cases of it uh, in the uh, in the garage at the moment. I have bought one or two singles here and there, but I'll double in some other stuff. But like you said, there's just there, there's other good ones. There's none as good as Topo. So there's not. It's there's hard. not. But anyway, this is not a Topo Chico ad, so <laughs> let's move on. And uh, I will continue to enjoy this drink and feel conflicted at the same time. Yep. Um, so here's a here was a cool quote I saw recently from Thomas Sowell. He's uh, an American economist. Soul. Social. Yeah. Soul. Thomas okay, Soul. Thomas yeah, yeah. Sowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's African-American. And uh, this quote that he that he has out there is, um, have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity when some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born, while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are doing today? Think about that. Um, it's, it's spot on. That he, He's one of the most brilliant human beings to have walked the face of the earth over the last half century. He's 90 years old, by the way. So yeah. he's seen there. He's seen it all. Dude, he's been doing this stuff since the 50s. And if you look further into him, he was an avowed Marxist until he took um, it's like the godfather of modern economics. What's that guy's name? Uh, I'll find it. Um, An economist that he studied under when he was in uh, probably grad school, I guess, Um, you know, opened his eyes to the reality of of Marxism versus capitalism. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the dude's brilliant. He's also a Marine in korea um his life story is pretty fascinating if there's like a i wonder if he has an, a biography out there i'd read that uh, yeah like i'm not sure about guy. biography but the dude's written a ton yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've mentioned his name on the podcast half I, a dozen I, times so it can't be the very first time you've come across him half a dozen <laughs> well now i have a face to go with a name i guess right. and a quote and an yeah. excellent quote right yeah right um how was uh, how was your Mother's Day? Because I had some funny family interaction that I was going to tell you about. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, got off to a little bit of a rough start, but I think it was just a an honest misunderstanding between uh, my wife and I, <laughs> the mother of my children. Uh, but uh, we <laughs> you can expand on that. I'd love to hear this story. <laughs> She's working on this project. And um, we're really excited about it. And uh, <laughs> she, she, she's been shooting weddings um, with uh, a girl here in the neighborhood. Um, it, it's the other lady's business. And Ashley is her second shooter. And mm-hmm. um, she wants to uh, potentially one day have a wedding venue. And, and we, were, we were talking about it. And, and she said something about how like, you know, when it comes to shooting weddings sort of on a full-time basis, because she wants to also, you know, be really building a photography business, right? And she was like, yeah, "Yeah, when it comes to shooting weddings on a full-time basis, I don't really want to deal with brides for, you know, three, four, five, six months straight while we work out like the details of what they want out of their photography. And I was like, but you want to open a venue and deal with them every day. I don't understand. And so... That led to a misunderstanding and a disagreement. <laughs> um, but we went to church and we righted the ship and the afternoon turned out good. And we were able to regroup and, and, and discuss it further and, and get on the same uh, plane. So it was all good. Okay. It was not a, okay. not a ideal conversation for eight o'clock in the morning with kids piling in our bed. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was, so, it was good. 
I cooked her Our, some ax, axes for dinner and it was delicious. Well, so I'm glad that you and Ashley got things worked out uh, so that you didn't you didn't totally ruin her mother's day. Uh, I mean, that was an <laughs> asshole. Seriously, mother of four beautiful girls and you're going to treat her like that on Mother's Day? Come on. I think I think, I think you are. Uh, <laughs> I think you're being unfair. I'll just leave it. At that, <laughs> I'm also so, not going to I'm not going to attempt to defend myself. Um, we had a good Mother's Day. I took I, I made Aaron breakfast. The kids took it to her in bed. Um, then we went over to her side of the family, which was cool because, uh, well, my, my family, my, my parents, siblings, everybody, we all had COVID. So we weren't really, once we got it, uh, worried about hanging out. So we've been seeing each other nonstop, uh, over there, like aunts, uncles, grandmothers and stuff. It's been smaller gatherings. So there was 28 people because I guess most of them have been vaccinated now. I'm certainly in the minority. I found out about those who have been vaccinated uh in that crowd and i might be the only one actually um but uh anyway we got into uh, a little political discussion over at her aunt's house and it came up actually chisholm it came up because they were talking about getting the vaccine and somebody was like somebody said why do i have to fill out like white and then also fill out non-latino yeah um like if you said white, then you already answered the question. I don't understand why you have to answer that twice. It's the I, same thing on like a gun application. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, I could speculate. I've heard some rumblings about, well, I'll say this. If you're a quote Latino that votes Republican, much mm-hmm. like if you're a black person that votes Republican, then uh, you're not going to be considered an oppressed black indigenous or person of color by the woke leftists, right? I mean, they've made that abundantly clear. Uh, at the same time, I have heard that there are some Latino slash Hispanic folks that uh, just consider themselves white. Um, so I guess it kind of cuts both directions, okay. but I, I don't know, dude. I mean, it- <laughs> I, I mean, I, don't know the answer either but anyway that's how this got brought up next thing um i bring up that south lake story that we talked about that you brought up on uh, last week's show and you know i was like yeah critical race theory is just so racist it's uh, fighting racism with racism which is just absurd on every level and uh aaron's i'd say mid 20 probably 25 year old cousin was like critical race theory is not racist i was like really Okay, well, it is. And he he immediately pulls out his iPhone and Googles it. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, critical race theory is really racist. <laughs> oh, dude, you red-billed somebody. That's so awesome. Yeah. So, job. The, yeah, the conversation continues. And my mother-in-law, we're all sitting around the patio outside. And she says, man, Cable, I just feel so bad for Henry, my son. I was like, why? And um, she's like, because he's a white male. It's going to be impossible for him to get a job. And I was like, yeah, it is going to be, um, it's going to be interesting, but she's, she followed that up with, I, you know, we just hired 13 new people at her. She's a teacher at a very, uh, well-known all boys Christian school in the Dallas area. And, um, she said they hired 13 new people. Every job went to a minority, every one of them and okay, you know, whatever. But she said that 
clearly the best person wasn't getting the, you know, uh, the best applicant wasn't receiving the job because she sat in on one of their, I guess they have to do a lesson plan and, and do a, a uh, day of, of on-site teaching as part of the application process. And she said one of the African-American ladies days, like she couldn't even control the class. It was an absolute nightmare. And she was just shocked when they still gave her the job. So I don't know. I, I, then I brought up the fact that, you know, I don't have any problem with some of the things we already have in place, but on some level, the percentage of the population needs to represent something close to the percentage of jobs going to that ethnicity group. And I said, 13% of the population is African-American and Aaron's aunt was like, no, 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 no. It's way more than that. I said, no, it isn't. It's 13%. So then she was immediately, she, she became very quiet, didn't say anything else. So I, you know, then, then her uncle was like, man, your blood pressure just looks to be rising. By the way, I agree with everything you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So then, oh, and the, and the, the best part is that my wife is looking at me from across the patio just with hate in her eyes. Like, that's the best part. Shut up. <laughs> like, she, well, you know, I feel like it's my duty to educate these people, family, especially family. We need to take care of family. And she's just like, um, you know, she, she wants nothing to do with it and wants me to be quiet. But I didn't bring it up. So, yeah, no. Um, I think you're right about your duty. I, I hate when I, I find myself at if I find myself at odds with your wife. One of these days, she's going to tell you you're not allowed to hang out with me anymore. But um, we do have a duty to speak the truth. Um, that's I, I cite them all the time, but that's a that's a Jordan Peterson thing, right? And mm. to your point, like one thing, you know, Bill Maher's been on this rant. We I think we talked about his. His You've brought Bill Maher up, and I yeah. despise the man, but apparently he has said some somewhat intelligible things recently. Well, and for a while now, you know, I mean, you know, 75 to 80 to 90 plus percent of what he's going to say is going to challenge everything that's even perceived as slightly right of center. But one thing he is, is an old school liberal, at least in the fact, I mean, his show is based on bringing both sides, all sides on to have a conversation. Now, he may... You know, yeah, but I feel like the right wing te- person just gets the snot beat out of them intentionally. Yeah, but at least they get a chance. The left says they're not even allowed to talk because what they have to say is violence, right? What they have to say is hate speech, right? Even when it's simple statement of fact, right? Or or philosophy. I mean, the the, the left doesn't believe in freedom of speech, and they don't even hide that fact. They call really? it a tool of oppression, right? So at least Bill Maher, yeah, he'll tag team up. He'll he'll he'll, you know overload the left-hand side of the debate and obviously his audience is all you know all left basically and so yeah it usually it's just a you know a crippled seal in a (laughs) in a sea of you know great white sharks on that show but at least the crippled seals in the arena right and the, the left doesn't even want to allow that uh but anyway yeah he's been you know pointing out that when it comes to covid statistics the left is you know, Democrats in America, people who identify as, as anything from Democrat to left wing, wherever they fall, are woefully, by and large, woefully miseducated because of, you know, media propaganda, plain and simply. Mm-hmm. And there's and it's not just their side, right? That side. It's not just that side. There's there are things that come from right wing media that people on the right just uh, you know they'll just buy hook line and sinker and i mean to me it's incumbent upon everybody to 
as the left would say, quote, do the work, figure it out, right? One of the things I've been uh, thinking a lot about lately is, you know, I, I would love to have a chance to sit down with somebody who I know to be a reasonable, um, intelligent person. Like, uh, I know some folks in this community um, that live their lives as conservative Christians, but between a combination of, you know, Trump hatred slash Trump derangement syndrome and a natural empathy towards leftist left-wing causes or left-leaning causes, natural empathy towards oppression, which oppression mm -hmm. is like the ultimate left-leaning cause, right? Um, they buy into these, these ideologies, right? But I, would, I want to so badly to be able to sit with somebody like that and be like, name me or describe to me a, a, a democratic policy initiative that you agree with and that you think is helping. Right. Not 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 a not a democratic platitude, not a democratic policy position, but a policy initiative, an actual action that they take legislatively or through regulation that you think is helping to solve these problems. Because I would I would contend there's not one out there that helps solve it. And there never has been, you know, well, ghost I, guns. I heard, have you seen dude, that stuff? Ghost. Guns. Uh, that's the that's so we have to do something right as as uh an assault on the second amendment we know we can't really do anything but we're gonna attack ghost who in the hell owns a ghost gun who is making guns in their freaking basement and committing crimes with them zero percent of crimes this is the actual stat zero percent of crimes are committed with weapons that someone made in their basement did you know that chisholm but yeah that's what they're grandstanding on in, in multiple states and on a national level too so just to just to give you an example of policy that has actual nothing behind it of substance there it is well so so that's a that's a good example but it's uh it's actually it's not the kind of example i'm pointing to generally speaking i believe when they intervene on behalf of trying to cure some of these societal ills like what they call systemic racism they're making the problem worse if there is such a thing as system, systemic racism it's the policies policy initiatives enacted by Democrats going back 100 years, actually 200 plus years, that have made the problem worse for American minorities. What you just highlighted is a, is a good example of them making an emotional appeal and then offering a solution that's useless to solve the problem. I'm talking more about instances where they make an emotional appeal and then offer something that makes the problem actually considerably worse. But to, so I have, you know, my other well, thought on what, what you just right now is, with, well, um, with like, no one wants to go back to work because they're getting more money being unemployed. That's than, a better example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there you go. Like, yeah. Hey, but, but suck, I'm, off you are, suck off the government teat. Oh, wait, no, no, it's time to go back to work, guys. No, no, no. We've, we're now dependent on you and, and we like not working better. Yeah. And it's funny if you look, if you Google that kind of thing right now, I, I saw three headlines today uh, just popping up on my phone, right? Where, you know, CNN and all these different, you know, clearly left-leaning news organizations are trying to spin that and say, oh, the reason people aren't going to work has nothing to do with the unemployment benefits. It's like, I don't even bother opening them because I'm sure that it's about them being afraid of the virus and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Okay, well, if they're afraid of the virus, that's y'all's fault too. Because y'all did you see the jobs report that, that came out? Yep, two hundred fifty thousand new jobs. We were promised one million. 
Right. And I was watching, uh, God, I can't believe it, it, I don't watch MSNBC or CNN religiously or Fox News for that matter, but I like to get the snippets. And when the anchor was reading, he's like, oh, good. The job sport came out, Economist. And I think it was on MSNBC. And he's like, 250,000. Um, he's like, that must be a typo. Let me double check that. <laughs> he's reading it live on the air. Yeah. He's like, oh, this isn't as good as we'd hope for. Not good. Not yeah. good. Yeah. Let me yeah. say one more thing about ghost guns. Uh, you know, to me, that that what that is a great example of is the left overplaying their hand and coming to a reckoning. I saw this. Uh, I saw this article yesterday that uh, actually it's a podcast episode on one of my feeds that um, it said. Uh, it basically what they're saying is like is that the immigration debate is to the is to the to the right what um what uh gun control is to the left and the point they were making is um immigration is sort of a, a, a i think that was the, the premise the point they were making on gun control is that the left charged forward thinking that they had broad support for gun control and as you've pointed on this show multiple times the past year has driven the largest gun consumption boom in the history of mm. gun manufacturing. And so they, they thought they had broad based support for gun control. And what they found out as soon as they started really actively moving that direction on a national level versus just their echo chamber of their primaries last year is no, in fact, they don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, everything from a moderate liberal traditional sort of Democrat all the way across the right side of the spectrum is pro second amendment uh on on some level right and becoming more and more educated on the actual statistics right so yeah eight million first time gun buyers right exactly exactly i mean that's the perfect point right is that you've actually got for the first time in a long time people who historically have been very anti-gun realizing oh i probably need one of these things as the world slips further into chaos and so so keep voting for it but they promised gun control right they promised Mm -hmm. it and so the hard left says you better deliver it and so they're like ghost guns and it's like and all of us know but it's to me, it's it's beautiful. I'm so glad <laughs> that he made a mountain out of that molehill. Molehill. It proves they don't have the political clout to really pull off any real gun control. It ain't gonna happen. It's a that, joke, that's the man. best he could do. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That and joke. and rec- and recommending red flag laws. He didn't pass a nation national red flag law. He basically asked, "Hey, states, please, pretty please, enact red flag laws." And oh, we're gonna do something about ghost guns. And do you know cool. what the states right. did? They stuck up their middle finger and said, actually, we're going to pass constitutional carry and we're (laughs) going to put laws in place to prevent you from uh, overreach on our in our state. So screw you, man. Which which brings me to constitutional carry in Texas. I had uh, one of my friends ask me the other day. He probably votes um, Democrat. So what do you think about all this constitutional carry stuff? And I said, you know, a lot of people say it's a Second Amendment, right? Um, I don't, I don't care to wade into that fray. Um, I, I'm as staunch a second amendment supporter as there is. I do think that people, if you're going to walk around with a handgun should have some kind of training, uh, you know, whether the government gets to decide that, I, I don't know. I feel like if you just go to, um, well, as Biden would say, just go to a gun, st- a gun show and just buy a gun, but that's not how it works. There's a background check everywhere you go. But if you pass your background check, get a pistol. You should probably go shoot it a little bit before you just put it on your hip and walk around. Um, but, you know, so he asked me that and I said, I, I think honestly, it's just an overreaction to it's just a reaction to this platform that Biden, you know, is 
so obsessed with about attacking the second amendment. So, you know, every, every action has a reaction. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what we're seeing here. So I don't know. I don't, it's, and, and it really, when we passed open carry, I want to say five years ago, something like that in Texas, did you see a bunch of people walking around with guns on their hip chisholm? Cause I damn sure didn't. That's the exact point I was making actually with my folks just the other day. Yeah. What um, really changed? I, nothing nothing changed at all and it, it, it's been proven nothing changed man nothing I, in, in fact in in retrospect I, I do remember thinking well maybe there'll be like a flurry and people will chill out like you might see for a couple of weeks everybody walking around with guns on their hips and then people will wise up and realize okay the, the moment's over and now i'll go back to concealed carry i don't even remember that right like yeah. it you're right and and, I, and at the time i was frankly and i had a whole different understanding of the world at the time because i had been indoctrinated into what the news tells us we're supposed to believe. Right. But I, I was really pretty against open carry. And then I would see like, yeah, you know what? Vermont's had open carry since forever. And Arizona has had open carry for decades. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, and it's not the wild west out there. So that's right. In either of those places. And then there's a bunch of other States that have it as well. I was in Mississippi one time and I actually did see two young dudes come into Mississippi. I think it, it was, I remember they looked like they'd been hunting that morning. Mm -hmm. uh with their they came into a waterburger i was getting breakfast on at and they uh they had guns on their hips and nobody batted an eye at it and it didn't make me feel particularly uncomfortable yeah. uh, anyway but to your point it didn't change anything and so the, the argument i was making on this and i haven't seen what they're proposing but my guess is you still don't have that right in texas if they if they get it all passed if you're a felon my guess is all Nor of the same you. right exactly I, I would assume yeah i don't think you can buy a firearm if you're a felon no you can't, you can't. So obviously you can't carry but my guess is that this program will be set up where the same things that would keep you from getting a permit will keep you from legally carrying um, with, you know, without one under this new constitutional carry program. I, I haven't looked. We should probably check that out before yeah. speaking about it too much. But my sense is because of the way that it's gone back and forth, it's going to have some level of restriction. And, and the, the, the bottom line is I don't think people who aren't carrying now are going to start carrying be on a daily basis because exactly. that law allows. If you it. wanted to carry and you could legally, you probably went through the loop, you know, jumped through the hoops right. of getting your CHL. All so. that being said, to your point, um, this guy that I, I think is is one of the most important voices uh, in America right now, Victor Davis Hanson, who you probably at least maybe have heard of. Mm -hmm. He goes on uh, the evening shows on Fox a lot, and he uh, contributed to National Review. He's a professor at Stanford, and he's brilliant. Um, he was talking the other day about how important he thought it was that uh, basic education across America, uh, you know, bring back like learning how to shoot a gun and a bow uh, just just to for, for the gun purposes, just to be competent with them and comfortable, relatively comfortable around them. You know, he, he talks about how so many people in America have really never even been in the presence of a firearm being shot. Right. And so they have uh, all they have is you know, left-wing propaganda about how the gun will walk over and kill you without somebody standing behind it and pulling the trigger. And, you know, so they're, they're terrified of them. And the truth is just about anybody that you take to a safe environment and, and go through some level of proper, you know, basics with, and then they shoot, they're like, wow, that was fun. <laughs> right. right. Um, anyway, but to your point, like, I, I, you don't think preference that countries be, like Russia, like our competitors aren't teaching their kids how to shoot guns in school because they damn sure are. Dude, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, part of the reason we were able to come in and make a huge difference in World War One was because when we got there, 
the Americans, the day they arrived after six years of trench warfare, were the best shots on the battlefield. Yeah. The British were writing about it. They were like, these Yankees have shown up and they're all full of piss and vinegar. Meanwhile, all these people who had been suffering for, you know, over half a decade or, you know, miserable. And he was like, they've kind of made a mess of things, but I'll give them this. They sure can shoot. You know, those dudes were picking guys off with open sights. Saving their asses? What is that? Well, no, it it, it wasn't his exact words. Uh, This is from the Hardcore History podcast with Dan Carlin, which I would recommend to everybody. It's the best podcast on the planet. Um, But he does a like a 20 hour five or six part series on world war one which i know i missed world war one education that didn't i didn't never it was never presented you learn some about world war ii but world war one is world war one dude was so long ago in the it, now it was in the 19 did you not read all quiet on the western front i'm i, I had no, to read I, that I as a uh, part of my history it was a history class i took in college a oh, great book but yeah all I, about I, world war one I. I didn't have that one um but so then you probably learned in that that when World War One broke out, the Germans had machine guns and the French were charging across the battlefield in on horseback in cavalry <laughs> formation, dude. This yeah. is a novel, so yeah. I, they, they left that part out, but I didn't. But uh, isn't that fascinating, right? Yeah. Like, like tech. We were at this strange point in the history of warfare where the French were still doing it Napoleon style, and the Germans had machine guns, hmm. right? Like, yeah, they were. And, and, and it, the, the French were getting smoked because French honor, French battlefield honor dictated that you just charge. And so the, the, you know, the brass of the, print, the, the French military would just send them and ride with them. They would all just, with sabers drawn, ride across the battlefield and get mowed down. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, yeah, that was, I, I had a point about World I, War I. I have, oh, a, I, I, I have a koozie this, this, that says back-to-back World War champs. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> oh god let's hope that we don't end up going for the three-peat uh anyway so the the quote i was referencing was uh the cool thing about that podcast is that carlin pulls from like actual letters from like uh officer journal entries right and it was some some british officer who had been on the front for like basically the entire time right and i mean imagine dude the way he portrays that trench style warfare at the time um i'd never even even watching footage of it didn't put you in the you know into that world the way he could do it explaining it like the way he did but anyway you know this guy was i don't remember if he used the term made a mess of things he was just the brit was not surprisingly you know kind of poking fun at the fact that the americans showed up all full of piss and vinegar like they were excited to be there meanwhile everybody else who'd been there all this time was miserable and understandably slow so living in the muck you know, for, you know, through the winter and everything yeah. uh, and, and watching people die by the, by the hundreds of thousands daily. Right. In some cases. And, uh, you know, he, so he just kind of pointed out, he's like, yeah, they're all, you know, gung ho ready to fight. And they kind of look like jackasses, but damn, those boys can shoot. Mm-hmm. And they and he pointed out, they were cracking off 125 yards, you know, you know, center mass kill shots with open sights because they were all born and raised you know, in the turn of the 20th century on farms and ranches and, you know, or small communities and shooting was to your point, something you did from the age of five. So getting back to the main thing here, I would be all for some sort of education system where everybody in America, everybody in America, but certainly everybody in Texas, if we're going to have constitutional carry had to go through some sort of basic firearms training. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful idea, but you know, the, the, 
diehard leftists are gonna be like, no, 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 we can't have we can't put guns in the hands of children. That's child abuse. So we'll yeah, see well, how that goes. Yeah, the the first thing the last thing they want is anybody being able to defend themselves when the revolution arrives. Mm-hmm. Um, so one other note I had, because you've got something interesting you want to get into is uh, how, how, you know, you're getting that quick trip put in. Uh, it certainly isn't built yet, but, uh, the pump has been in the news as gas prices have reached a, uh, I believe I've got a graph right here, Chisholm for you. Um, they have, they rose six cents last week and we had this, we had this pipeline shutdown on the East coast of the, uh, I forget the name of the uh, pipeline, but it got a cyber attack mm-hmm. and it's resulted in gas rising. But I, I want to be very clear. Gas has been rising since Biden went into office. This isn't a new thing. It's just the biggest hike we've seen so far in 2021 in a, in a week period. But the national average now at $2.98 this time last year, $1.84. So it's gone up over a dollar. I did the math. I think I, I probably fill up my truck once a week. It's 36 gallons times 52. And that doesn't even include like just hunting trips, out of town stuff, going to the coast, you know, family vacation. I'm just talking about generally. It was at, at $1. We'll just round it up to a dollar, even though it's more than that. At a dollar increase for me annually, that's $1,872. Sure. Just for my truck. And, and, and it's going to go up another dollar. And then my wife drives 33 miles each way to work three days a week and she has um a honda so she doesn't have a gas guzzler but still i'm thinking rough estimate five thousand dollars more on gas is going to cost my family this year yeah man um i haven't bothered to sit down and do the math the way i've always looked at gas is uh, or diesel in the case of my truck is uh it costs what it costs and i need it um that being said i'm not oh, yeah like, i'm not well, dismissing what you're saying well, i just like just yeah, not buy it'll gas. just it'll just piss me off to sit down and figure out how much more fuel i'm gonna end up you know how much more i'm gonna spend on fuel uh I, I, <clears throat> this is totally foreseeable and anybody who didn't foresee it is an idiot it definitely isn't paying attention it, you know they're no they're, they're they're more interested in the feels of leftism and not the ramifications of leftism right and mm. The, you know, it, it's far worse than just this, you know, than, than the, at, in the moment Biden politics and, uh, you know, this, this cyber attack on this pipeline, you know, I, I'm in that space, right? A lot of the work that my, my group does is in the refinery space. And we have some projects out in California and across the state of California, dude, they're shutting refineries down, putting them out of business forever. Uh, they've, it, it's a combination of things. Some of the oldest refineries in the world are over there. Um, but they're not replacing that capacity with new capacity necessarily, right? We're we'll just make green energy. That's right. With their no infrastructure, we'll just right. say we're going to do it, and boom, presto! Here's some green energy for you, right? And forget <laughs> about where the electricity for your car comes from; it'll be magic, right? But we've already yeah. talked about that. Um, they're 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 driving through mostly regulation these facilities to uh, to shut down and do things that are more profitable, like just convert their you know, former refinery into a terminal that stores material rather than having to fight the battles necessary to actually crack crude oil into gasoline and diesel. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it doesn't really matter who the president is. There's this underlying current from 
you know, hard blue states to uh, chip away at things. And so, you know, a Republican president can kind of stave it off like like Trump did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, Obama, 2014, say, 15, Obama had gas at three dollars and 78 cents a gallon was, national right. average. Yeah. Um, then Trump, you know, when Trump got into office, it got down. Hell, I remember. I mean, some of it was pandemic induced, but like gas prices were as low as they were 20 years ago when I was filling up in high school with quarters, you know, like uh, I don't know if you were ever in that position, but I certainly didn't have a lot of like expendable income as a 17, 18 year old and none. Sure. And no. surely a 16 year old, um, I would be like, Hey dad, do you have any like change? <laughs> it's like, yeah. like put two gallons of gas in my car for sure. Uh, yeah. No, I, I have, I've definitely put, you know, single digit, uh, single digit, uh, fuel totals, cost totals into my, into my vehicle in the past. But, but I, that was the point I was going to make was sometimes I, it, it's remarkable to me that, you know, we, as we're approaching $3 a gallon, um, in 2021, we, we freak out about that. Cause I've, you know, we, we've seen those prices as far back as 20 years ago. Uh, really like, I mean, it, it, there have been times uh, to your point in the, in the nineties, gas prices were what they were a year ago. It's almost amazing when you really think about it, that uh, it hasn't really ever tracked just steadily upward with inflation. Uh, some of that is just because if you know how they, how gasoline is priced, it's based on, it's based on something called the cracking spread. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely gone up with inflation. Cause like I said, in, in, when I was in high school, 20 years ago, you could go to racetrack and get unleaded gasoline for 89 cents. And now we're at, you know, even, even last year at a dollar 84 and we're thinking that's great. That's still, yeah. I guess I haven't seen sub $1 gas in a quite a long time. So maybe, maybe it has, yeah. but I mean, I think inflation has gone up. Well, whatever. I'm not an economist. I'm just saying like, I don't know that it has tracked perfectly with the cost of other goods and services going up over that same period of time. Yeah. But so um, do you remember me talking about sitting around after uh, one of my uh, soccer games, my, my old men, soccer games and sitting there with these guys on my team we're having a couple beers and half of them probably uh or vote democrat and half don't and i told them i said just wait you like paying four dollars a gallon for gas and sure enough uh we had our game this week and and i mentioned to them hey have you you know seen the gas prices and they're like oh yeah you're right about that <laughs> yeah i was and, it, and it's only going to get better just watch out um so that's fun. And, and then we have states that are in a gas emergency. Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia have all said, hey, we, we're, this is a, a statewide emergency now because we don't have any gas. So and part of that is because it's like the toilet paper thing. I, I saw a lady filling up a like 20 gallon Tupperware full of gas, a picture of just these people just doing dumb stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's it certainly creates a panic. And I don't understand why this pipeline was a victim of a cyber attack because it's not like they got money out of the deal so i i don't know if you've seen that or have any insight there but i, I really don't understand why we're attacking a unless we're just looking for chaos right no, i mean that's certainly yeah, that's it part that's of the it. end game yeah yeah no i mean some of it's just the desire for chaos and then but you know the, they call it eco-terrorism right like uh, uh eco-terrorism is chaos agents who specifically target uh what they perceive to be environmental you know oh so this is some green pro- snowflake 
person. Maybe I, I saw the name of the group that that ended up being tagged with it, and you know, I, I haven't looked into it any further than that, so I, I don't know the details. Think but, they're big hunters? You no, know, uh, doubtful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, dude, it could very well have just been. You know, the first thing I had heard about it from a different source was that it was just like random like totally random typical spyware but then i did see a headline after that saying it had been tagged to a certain i guess a mm. group i haven't looked into it so i you know, i don't know what their motivations are but you know it wouldn't surprise me that you know hackers scared of climate change would be you know attacking oil and gas infrastructure mm. assuming that's what happened either that or it's just random yeah well, you know, the ga- gas is one thing. I mean, fuel prices increasing suck, but it's it's going to be across the board. You're going to see it increases on everything, everywhere. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, when fuel prices go up, transportation costs go up. When transportation costs go up, commodity prices go up. That includes the food we buy, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's across the board. Like, you know, if you go to the grocery store and you load up on vegetables, those vegetables were farmed and produced with equipment running off of petroleum hydrocarbon products they were transported with you know they were processed some of them through plants that are firing you know that are that are getting their energy their electricity from some sort of fossil fuel source then they're hauled in trucks first to that spot then from there to the grocery store you know trucks and trains where that are all running off of you know diesel so yeah it and i mean somehow people think cow farts are more dangerous than that <laughs> that's because some people are stupid I did. I I don't know that we've done uh, talked about the math on that, but cow farts are three percent of our carb our annual carbon footprint. Every little bit helps, dude. Three <laughs> percent, and uh, the amount of fossil fuel we burn making vegetables and grain is fourteen percent. So but you have you have to see you have to see things from the left's perspective, right? The beautiful thing about getting rid of the cows is not only do you save those 3% of those methane emissions, but you also save the lives of the poor cows from getting eaten by barbaric meat eaters. Mm. Except, except the part they're not thinking all the way through, which is um, not surprising of a Marxist, is how do we get rid of all those cows? (laughs) How do we stop them from making methane? Right. We're going to let them die out naturally and just stop, stop breeding them, I guess. Not slaughter them by the tens of millions. I don't know. <laughs> They're here right now is my main point, right? <laughs> so, so if we're going to save the world from the cow farts, but also not kill a whole bunch of cows, I don't really know how we, I don't know how we do that. Mm. <laughs> it must be weird. It must be, must be great actually living in freaking La La Land where whatever you say, is your reality and facts and science have nothing to do with it that must be a pretty pleasurable existence it's no they, really, they all seem really they all seem really mad no i don't know they all seem really mad like really really mad so it doesn't seem like it's a great existence oh you remember that uh, <laughs> rage against the machine song i forget the name of it but it, you'll know the course and it's fuck you i won't do what you tell me won't do what you tell me yeah yeah I and like then now, so I saw this meme. It was like that, and and it was the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. And then now, and then it, mm-hmm. then it, then the other half of the meme is this that 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 girl. You you'd know it if you saw the the girl who's like pointing the finger and it's just like her, looked like her head's gonna explode. She's so angry. And then her her part of the deal is, um, fuck you, do what they tell you. Right. <laughs> it's like leftists in 1990 versus leftists in uh, 2020. So. Yeah. 
Um, okay. That's the stuff that I've brought to the table. What's been on my mind here today. You have something else uh, going back to the conversation we had on the, the homeless, basically business, uh, the business yeah. of being homeless and the government uh, facilitating. The business, right. The business of helping the homeless. Yeah. So yeah. what, uh, what exactly is, is on your mind? What do you want to bring to the conversation here? Well, I'll start by saying that that there's a lot of thoughts here that I'm going to probably struggle a little bit to thread together. So um, this, the kind of broader topic will probably unfold maybe over a series of episodes, not necessarily the the homeless part, but just sort of, there's a couple of like layers to where I want to take this. Uh, and, And we haven't really gotten down this type of rabbit hole to speak of yet, but I do think in some ways we have. I think a lot of our discussions and a lot of our show is about uh, media propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. And combating it, right? And and the way that media propaganda uh, fuels both left and right wing extremism. Um, you know, I think our opinion is that, you know, generally speaking, it's the left wing variety that seems to dominate right now. And that, 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 you know, that there's this full court press to try to, you know, spur a revolution, right? And yeah. it's coming from it's coming from misinformation across the board, television and internet, right? Um, so, so I'm laying out this sort of, like I said, broad premise in order to nail down into this uh, homelessness ink problem. Um, we're, we're getting fed crap all the time, right? Um, and when it comes from the left wing side, it's always emotional crap, right? It's, it's scare tactics. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, showing every single, uh, every single incidence where, uh, you know, a, a black man is, is killed, an unarmed black man is killed by the police and then causing, you know, the majority of Democrats across America to believe that means that thousands and thousands of those are occurring on an annual basis when the fact is it's in the tens, not the thousands, right? Um, the, the bombardment of that uh, creates an impression. They don't ever have to f- flat out lie, although they do sometimes, right? But the, but the media doesn't ever have to flat out lie to you. And the politicians that are pushing these agendas don't have to flat out lie. They can manipulate your emotions and your perception of reality just through, uh, just through, the, just through tactics, right? Just through the approach, just by bombarding you with with him from, you know, the same thing happened in the nineties when mm-hmm. there was this huge scare about, um, about kidnappings because, you know, in the eighties and going into the nineties, national news was becoming kind of more and more prominent. And there were a few high profile kidnappings and they drove news sales. So the news reported on every single one and it created this panic across the country that kids were getting snatched left and right. Right. And a lot of modern day psychologists argue that that's where helicopter parenting really was born from was this, was this propagating, which is the root word of propaganda, right? The notion that all these kids were being snatched. And the truth was that that there wasn't even a spike. It was the same extraordinarily low totals that had really always been the case. The reality is that, you know, through recorded American history, like 99% of all quote kidnappings, first of all, the numbers are again, I don't even know if they're in the thousands annually, but of those that do occur, like 99% of them are kids who were 
you know, the, it was a report filed where someone close to the child took them without their, per, you know, primary guardian's permission. And, you know, well, yeah, oftentimes, by and large, they're returned. They're estranged right? parent. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, and, and even among those, oftentimes it's more of a dispute between guardians that yeah. gave rise to maybe a false claim. But either way, like as you pick that, you know, the actual statistics of those apart, what you find in much like gun violence is, you know, they'll, they'll throw out there the statistics about the number of gun deaths and they'll leave off the, the part about how 90% of those are suicides. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's all about statistical manipulation, data presentation, and then more importantly, beating it over your head every single day until you're just crippled with fear. Right. That's all by design. None of that shit's by happenstance. And anybody who thinks it is has got they've got scales over their eyes. Period. And and it's not all. You know, we we think of particularly news organizations. We think of these these tech giants that are controlling information on the internet. And we always think of them as private enterprises, right? With some sort of ulterior motives that's somehow separate and apart from the government. But that's not the case at all, man. I mean, the reality is that the vast majority of journalists in this country that are speaking on politics live inside the beltway in the district of Columbia. Right. Mm -hmm. And they spend their days and nights swimming in circles with politicians, bureaucrats. That's where they get their information. Right. Yeah. So there are coordinated information wars going on all the time. Right. When, when, information is quote leaked from sources to cnn or msnbc it's not like somebody got drunk and let something slip right a narrative was put out there intentionally by some faction somewhere right absolutely i mean this guy you saw where the the dude from project veritas right um whatever that dude's name is um you know what project veritas is right oh yeah uh, we've talked about it james o'keefe yeah, yeah. Where, where james o'keefe managed to record some the CNN yep douche uh, CNN executive bragging about how they coordinated with the Biden Biden campaign throughout 2020 and used you know and overplayed certain straight up overplayed he admitted certain aspects of of what was going on with Trump and and just flat dismissed certain things that were going on with Biden right so that there's a perfect example but it gets even more nefarious than that when you start talking about like programs like MK Ultra have you heard of MK Ultra no so MKUltra is a recognized, acknowledged CIA mind control program where the CIA, since going back to the 60s, has been using books and television to manipulate public opinion, public belief, and push the national narrative in certain directions. You know, they'll have former CIA agents will be on news sets as writers or even as hosts right they, they drive the agenda of this information a lot of the time so like right now one of the main talking points you'll hear from the left is that according to our intelligence bureaus right wing white supremacy is a greater threat to our nation than than uh, you know islamic extremism terrorists from you know the middle east then and then and certainly then antifa yet i don't none of us see none of us see the kkk period anywhere 
Well, that's let alone, let, fine. let alone yeah. burning down entire blocks like what we see Antifa doing, right? So, you know, if you're paying attention to anything outside of the quote mainstream, you have an idea of that's not negligence, I guess is my point, right? Yeah, when, you know, when, who I think it's a threat, China. And there you we go. saw Trump distance from China, and now we've how fast can Biden, you know, jump back into bed with them? That's right. Well, it was pretty fast. <laughs> that's right. And that, that's a great example. When the NBA is calling this country the worst place in the world and then defending China with the human rights abuses that they've always been and continue to be guilty of, mm-hmm. you know that there's a, a monetary agenda there. You know who's 100%. paying that bill, right? Same thing with Hollywood. Hollywood's a bunch of communists, despite being the most rich, privileged group within this entire nation. And frankly, within probably the entire world. And their yeah. money, their, their, their movies are funded by the Chinese, right? So to the extreme where they can't even put a, a Taiwanese flag on Maverick's jacket, even though naval aviators rock the Taiwan flag on their jackets because of our... Uh, affiliation of our of our uh, allyship with Taiwan, because China claims control of Taiwan and they don't recognize them as an independent state, and so you can't do that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so my point is, these agendas are not happenstance; they're not haphazard; they're not negligence. The result of negligence, they are deliberate and coordinated. When you can't find information about Hunter Biden, even though the left was hunting, writing about Hunter Biden before the right was, that's by design. So let me bring it back to the homeless thing. We mentioned the other day that uh, Colin Noir, Colion Noir, the Second Amendment advocate, was on with Rogan a few weeks ago. And towards the end of the conversation, just randomly sort of brought up this fact that, as it, that at the moment that uh, there's an investigation underway in the city of New York to try to figure out where $800 million in homelessness funding has, has gone. The mayor, Bill de Blasio, gave that money to his wife to manage. Right. And it's all gone. Nobody can track down where any of it went. $800 million. Meanwhile, homelessness in New York continues to increase like exponentially. And, and, you know, and that had been the case, right? Like a lot of people are, will be quick to just dismiss the homelessness crisis we're seeing across the country as like related to COVID. It's gotten worse, but it wasn't COVID that started it. L.A. and San Francisco, you know, dude, it was four years ago, five years ago when the poop app showed up in San Francisco to let you know where human feces was so you didn't step on it, right? Like that that (laughs) way predated COVID, right? Same thing with L.A. L.A., do you know that L.A. has a street called Skid Row? Yeah. That's, That's the name of the street, and it was built... And designated for homeless people going back to the 70s. Yeah, that's the 80s rock band Skid Row. Yeah, well, I mean, I had always heard the phrase, right? But I thought it was just like a just like a a general phrase for like when you've hit the skids, right? That song Youth Gone Wild, uh, probably referencing their uh, imminent future of ending up on Skid Row. Right. Well, so my point is, so the point is, it's, it's a place, right? It's an actual block in right near downtown Los Angeles, that's always been like a designated homeless encampment. And now it has, if you did, you should just look up pictures of it. I mean, it is 
insane. We should put it as the uh, back in the image for this this episode, a, f- a photograph of Skid Row. Um, anyway, Rogan had been ta- Rogan's been talking about the homeless problem in California since way before COVID, and throughout COVID, he talked about how it's only getting worse. And then you know it was one of the main reasons he moved to the state of Texas. That, but I, I would say it seems like the ultimate breaking point for him was the COVID lockdown, COVID response stuff. Right? He realized mm-hmm. that that tyranny reigned in California and freedom reigned in Texas and he wanted to be free. But he also says all the time, you know, they refused to do anything about this homeless problem. And that was, a, you know, that had been driving him this direction for years already. So anyway, well, so, but, so, but, but, but let's be clear, like we don't have any problem with homeless people, but the culture that comes along with that is drugs and crime. So, I mean, that's, that's the reality. You're not just talking about a little poop on the street. You know, there's syringes everywhere. Um, there's yeah, well, breaking out. hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I think I mentioned the other day that, you know, my, my woke sister and her brother and her husband who I don't, he's not woke. Um, I'd say he's, uh, uh, classically liberal in a lot of ways, but anyway, you know, they, they were pointing out to me how the, the, the homeless people in Austin, like, will f- almost accost you. And you pointed out when you, last time you went to San Francisco, you had a guy spit on you, right? Like it. Yeah. The, you're, no, you're so, right. So the so last the, so time the, I went to San Francisco, <laughs> which will be the last time, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's really, it's it's, we're not heartless bastards, right? Yeah. I you know I, I know both of us do things. You know, we we do all sorts of charitable things in all sorts of contexts, and we would love to see. A solution to this problem to your point what we're well, here's driving 800 at million is, dollars to help with that exactly exactly what we're driving at is is what's actually being done by the people who are um passing regulations and, and ordinances in these cities to actually uh enable further homelessness just you know to make it uh basically publicly and socially acceptable right that's what happened in in san francisco they you know began they began revoking restrictions on camping in public. That was what had happened in Austin two years ago. And then just two weeks ago, the city of Austin in a pretty resounding victory said, yeah, we're going to put the camping ban bike in place because this shit's gotten out of control. Right. Yeah. Um, But getting back to what your your point is that all of that is sort of ancillary to the main topic here, which is this idea that these cities are spending insane amounts of taxpayer money and the problem is just clearly getting worse and worse and worse so so he so so colin noir reveals this 800 million dollar you know vanishing act in new york and so it, i mean it literally blew rogan's mind i should have pulled you a clip of that so you could hear his like real i think you listened to it no i listened to that one yeah, yeah. anybody then, who hasn't heard they, it go check it out then they looked up stuff on la in la which right. was like 134 million dollars no was, 400 in 2020 400. alone 400 okay. million yeah and they have budgeted 650 million for this year yeah. And he's going, where is that money going? I mean, yeah. Rogan's ex- almost exact quote was, I've always just thought that the problem was there was no money. And you're yeah. sitting here showing me there's half a billion dollars being spent every year in L.A. I can't see where that's going. And they sat there and figured it up and they were like, you could give thousands of dollars to each of the 100,000 homeless people in L.A. Now, that wouldn't go very far, obviously. Right. But like, but just w- what in God's name is being done. Right. And then you hear about Oh, we built a shelter, but none of them want to come to the shelter because the shelter has rules, right? Or mm-hmm. oh, we uh, <laughs> we put them in hotels during COVID, but uh, they didn't like the hotels because the hotels wouldn't let them talk to each other because of COVID restrictions. They'd rather be on the street where they've got their gang and they can hang out, not you know gangbanger gang, but their crew, right? Like right. 
have socialization because, you know, everybody needs a friend, right? Anyway. Absolutely. So, so that was just a few weeks ago, right? And say what you want about him. I, I think he's got the mo- one of the most important shows of all time. But statistically speaking, Joe Rogan has the biggest platform in the history of man. He has more people download every episode of his podcast than CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News get each night on their opinion shows combined. Combined. Like, we still look at legacy media and cable news as the end-all, be-all. These podcasts have blown them away. That's why they're under attack by the left, by the way. But anyway, so Rogan gets hundreds of millions of people listening to every episode of his show, dude, across the world. And he had his mind blown, which means hundreds of millions of people, let's say two-thirds of them probably, maybe a lot more than that, equally had their minds blown. And all of a sudden... I would bet, and I, you know, I didn't have a chance to look this up, but I would bet Google traffic into, you know, something along the lines of like, you know, city homeless funding abuse or something like that, uh, probably skyrocketed, right? For sure. And and that sort of thing gets noticed. Period. End of story. Like, there are people if they're vested in this, even if they're vested in it for altruistic reasons, if all of a sudden the internet is flooded with people trying to figure out where the hell Bill de Blasio's wife is spending all of New York City's homeless funding, that's going to get noticed if, 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 a, if that just blows out of proportion all of a sudden, right? So fast forward to this Tuesday, about three weeks after that episode, maybe a month. And I've got this, this podcast on my feed. And frankly, I don't, I don't listen to it that often, but it's from the American Enterprise Institute, and it's called the Banter Podcast. It's called Banter, an American Enterprise Institute podcast. Mm -hmm. My understanding of AEI is that it's basically a conservative think tank. Uh, And and that's always been what it's been, right? But your typical sort of New York, D.C. version of conservative uh, talk, conservative ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the guys that I listen to who I've mentioned in the past that are uh, like staunch never Trumpers, Super idealistic. They like to quote John Locke and, uh, you know, these sorts of guys, right? Um, everything is an, you know, an intellectual debate between the left and the right, right? They, they like to try to shy away from culture war issues, culture war issues like, you know, transitioning kids and focus more on, you know, federalism versus nationalism, blah, 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 right? Um, but there's certainly at least as, if not more frustrated with what they perceive to be hard right wing politics as they are with hard left wing politics. Some of those guys like used to, you know, work at AI, right? That's kind of where I got introduced to AI. Anyway. Okay. This, I don't ever really listen to it, but my feed had something. Let me, let me pull it up real quick. You have the, the thing in front of you, the actual name of that episode. Uh, yeah, it's Muzzy Rosenblatt on homelessness in New York City. Right. It was on the top of my mind because in large part of that, I mean, it kind of has been watching what's been happening in Austin, you know, from relatively nearby. Um, but it was really on my mind ever since that episode with Rogan. Right. And this idea that, you know, these cities are, are clearly letting trillions of billions of dollars globally uh, nationally yeah, dude it mis- says right here in the freaking show notes on spotify muzzy rosenblatt is the ceo and president of the bowery residence committee a nonprofit organization that serves nearly ten thousand homeless and at-risk new yorkers every year 
exactly. Bingo. Bingo. I saw that come across my feed and because it's something that had been on my mind, I was like, I'm going to give this one a listen. And right off the bat, it was annoying. Um, (laughs) I know you haven't listened to it. You've only listened to the little clip we'll play in a minute. Forgive me, everybody, that it's a little dull, but once we play it in the context of this conversation, I think you'll see the point. Yeah, I even told Chisholm, no one's going to want to listen to that clip. But then I went <laughs> yeah. back and listened to it again. I was like, God, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot in that little really two minutes, right, insulting. dude? Yeah. So anyway, I'm listening to this guy um, explain what that Bowery Institute does, right? And explain his background. And he's really good friends with the, the one of the main hosts of Banter. I think his name, it's in the, the clip, but whatever that guy's name was. You'll hear it in the clip. Uh, They're both former New York City bureaucrats. This guy in particular, Rosenblatt, has always, uh, even in his time as a bureaucrat in New York City, been on this homelessness beat, right? This has been his life's work. So, you know, when I first started, even though the the, the way they talked was a little bit annoying, uh, it was, you know, I was like, hey, what a great guy. He's spent his entire life trying to work on this problem, right? Uh Impressive. You've heard of uh, the revolving door. Right. When it comes to politics, this the people in in government going into the private sector and then coming back around to government, and going back into the private sector. Have you ever heard of the revolving door? Sure. Yeah. You hear it about it, hear about it in D.C. a lot where somebody who was a, uh, you know, a military officer or, you know, a uh, again, a CIA operative or just a staffer for a, a senator. Right. Will then get some amazing you know high six-figure job after making 50 grand a year in a government job they'll jump right into this incredible high-paying private sector job right and then you know they'll spend five years doing that and all of a sudden they'll show up on you know as like chief of staff for the president or something like that right and then they'll go into and then along the way they get to write a book and the book makes them millions and these guys get extraordinarily wealthy just from playing that game right so my first thought as soon as i realized this guy was a former bureaucrat turned ceo of a nonprofit in the same sector he had worked in as a bureaucrat was like, hmm, that sounds like revolving door stuff right there. Yeah. And my mind's already starting to sit here and think like this dude is one of the entities is running one of the entities that Rogan was discovering three weeks ago is getting these million hundreds of millions of dollars. He has to be right. Like I'm, just, I'm sitting there like having like a revelation as I'm listening to this guy talk. Right. But it really culminated with the clip we'll play in a second. But I'm just sitting there thinking like, huh, yeah, this guy, this guy's clearly going to be getting public funding in New York City to run this program, right? And so he goes 40 minutes of the podcast is him explaining this work they do. And to be honest with you, it sounds like they're doing some some, some pretty good work, right? Um, but yeah. some of the ways he refers to his mission and the, the folks involved, I found really interesting. For example, as you'll hear. He calls the homeless people his customers and clients, <laughs> like over and over and over again. Yeah. I'm like, huh. I mean, I guess on a brass tax basis, I get it, but that seems weird, right? Like your customers, huh? And of a nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. How do you have customers if you're a nonprofit? Right. <clears throat> those, that, those two words kind of seem to contradict them, each other. Yeah, right. Uh, and and like customers generally means you're getting paid by somebody to do something, right? But we mm-hmm. clearly know that the homeless people aren't paying him, right? So 
it really, when you think, when you break it down on that line, it drives the idea that, yeah, they're, I mean, you know, they call them non-profit, not, not for profit business, right? It's still considered a business. Money comes from somewhere and then it goes to something, right? Yeah. It's coming the only from thing the that, government. Here's, you know, take care right. of these homeless people. Here's your that's check. Right. right. Or charitable donations. And, mm. and the only thing that makes it a nonprofit is that they have a cap of it's either two or 5%. They're not allowed to submit as a 501c3 profit margins above either two or 5% on an annual basis. So like we've already talked about, that becomes real easy. Let's say you get, let's say some ultra wealthy Manhattanite donates to them one year, $50 million. Um, you better find a way to spend that that year or at the end of the year, it might screw up your 501c3 designation, right? Right. So let's just say it's possible that people like Rosenblatt could get a bonus for all the good work they do for the homeless, right? <laughs> or big, big bonus or some like highly speculative, likely doomed to fail, you know, harebrained scheme that somebody came up with gets 10 million in funding just to see if it works, whatever. Right. Point being, you better make that $50 million go away or you're going to have tax problems. Mm -hmm. The point is not for profit just means you got to spend all the money that you take in wherever you get it, wherever you get it from, whether that's government, you know, private donations or the combination of the two, which would be the case with these guys. So the, the, I'd almost like to play five minutes of this thing that would bore everybody. So I'll summarize the, the, the minutes, two to three minutes before what we're about to play. This guy is detailing how the way they run this homeless assistance program in New York City is that they have this team of people that's always canvassing the city, right? And you might have, you know, I might be assigned to, I don't know, my Manhattan geography very well but you know the south end of central park and you're you know you're you're patrolling the north end right mm -hmm. and when i come across a homeless person i can look them up on my ipad and i if that person has been entered into this system then i know the last time they were talked to by one of the the bowery you know representatives uh, where they were taken, what shelter or, or what hotel or wherever they were taken to get them off the street at the time, uh, you know, what was done for them, whether they got fed, whether they got a bath. Also has all their medical records. Yeah, up until you just said medical records, I'm, you know, okay, right. we're just keeping tabs on these. But, but even that, man, I mean, you're dealing with people with mental, uh, general, a lot of people with like with, 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 with mental issues, right? With, with uh, you know, yeah, so, so, I don't, so there's issues, nothing right? wrong with that up until you're talking about their health records. Right, but I'll even defend that and say, you know, hey, if you've got somebody who's a paranoid schizophrenic living on the street and you walk up to them, it's important. He, in fact, says that. If you listen to the whole podcast, mm. that's exactly one of the examples he uses to defend why it's important that they have access to these medical records. Okay. Because if you walk up on somebody who's schizophrenic, it's important to know that. And that dictates how you talk to them, right? There's some he, validity to that for sure. Sure, sure, sure. Well, and, and the main point I'm trying to make is this whole podcast is a sales pitch. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. This podcast is a sales pitch for the Bowery Institute for sure. But there's, let's call it a conspiracy side of me that as I've learned more and more about man media manipulation, and I said, like I said, this sort of invisible war that's always going on, I sincerely believe that AEI brought this guy on 
directly to refute anybody who's listens to them that might have caught that Joe Rogan episode and is wondering where the hell this money is going and getting spent. But they have a bigger agenda than that. Yeah, because why else would they have this just like a few weeks Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Out of nowhere. When the biggest podcast in the history of the planet, the biggest media platform in the history of the planet unveiled to the most people ever the fraud and abuse that goes on in this space, all of a sudden this guy's out there talking about why it's necessary to have gigantic interconnected databases so that people can walk around and check your health profile and background in real time when they're checking up on you on the streets, right? Yeah. So just think about the infrastructure, right? Like the cost of the infrastructure, all these people canvassing the streets in New York's with iPads, right? And this database infrastructure to maintain all this information. Then more importantly, they're interconnected into certain, like certain government health programs like Medicaid. They can tap into Medicaid from these portals. They have access to that information. Right. So even when they don't already have a profile on somebody, in some instances, they may be able to build a profile as they stand there and talk to them. But anyway, so he defends all that by saying, you know, we always when we walk up to a customer again, he uses this exactly when we walk up to a customer, the first thing we always get is get the F away from me. And so we will. And then we'll come back the next day and we'll check on them again. And then we'll come back until we've basically softened them up and can get them to come with us to get some help. Right. Again, painting it all as though like this is just the necessary, the necessary groundwork and infrastructure that it takes to effectively help these quote at risk people. When they say at risk, I don't know what they're at risk of, but that's what they call them, right? At risk. Right. So anyway, um, so he's he spends several minutes before this clip outlining this this technical database infrastructure and com and comms infrastructure that his group has not only to keep track of people that they've come in contact with, but to tap into, like I said, government databases to find out more about them. With that being said, roll the clip and then we'll pick it back up. All right. Worker, but it's accessible to any outreach worker from any organization that's doing the work so that as people move, right? Transience is the nature of homelessness is they may, we may encounter them at the Coney Island subway station on Monday morning, and they may be sleeping on the steps of a church on Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan on Tuesday night. And there may be a very different outreach worker, very different organization doing it. All that is an essential database. So first and foremost, it is about data collection so that to your observation correctly, we're not starting all over and being inefficient and, and pissing off the customer. I mean, yeah. you know, like how many times are you going to ask me this question, like trying to register for a COVID vaccine? And it's like, you got to repopulate. Yeah, yeah, better get your input right? in it, fast it, it, or they'll cut you it, off. Piss you off, right? Yeah. But then the other part is that we're looking to see patterns and trends as well. So from my perspective, as a manager, as an executive, and with all my team, it's where where are we seeing the highest rate of placement? Where are we seeing the lowest rate of recidivism? You know, one of the things I am I am looking at right now is of all the people that we've been placing during the pandemic, you know, how many of them have stayed and how many of them keep going back to the subway? And are we making the right decisions or the wrong decisions for them because they seem to be voting with their feet? And that will help us decide or help the city dis- decide about what do we need more of, what do we need less of, who's getting it done well, who isn't it, who isn't doing it well. So that we're 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 measuring the effort, we're measuring the activity, right? The inputs and the outputs. 
and all the activities in between with those inputs that create those outputs. But then what we also want to see is impact. What is the outcome? And which of these activities are generating higher rates of success? And what is that telling us? And how do we try to replicate that? And so all of that data on a day-to-day basis to help the frontline worker working with the client customer, and then to help the organizations and the systems achieve systems change and systems improvement. And I want to be be clear that this is not, I hope these are data systems that are not limited to the homeless community or the homeless system. That if you're talking to me, for instance, if it's Robert Doerr with my, whatever, my name, you put my name in, your workers are able to see my interaction with the Medicaid system or the SNAP program system or the SSDI or SSI system. Am I right about that? Or are these systems integrated? Only so much, Robert. Only so much, sadly. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It'd be really helpful to know those things. Yeah. I mean, some systems we have access to better than others, and some systems talk to each other better than others. And one of the business strategies of BRC, right, we're a not-for-profit, but we are a business, is we're a very diversified business. So we have we work in the mental health system, we work in the healthcare system, we work in the criminal justice system, we work in the homeless services system and the welfare system. So we have access to all those databases. Organizations that aren't that diversified in the work may not have access. Or a city or a city government or state government doesn't allow access to not-for-profit partners. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. So for example, we don't have access. We have a humongous public hospital system in New York. So it's part of the city government. We don't have access to that and they don't have access to us. So if you are a doctor planning to discharge a patient in the emergency room, unless you know, and we're there probably, that BRC brought in this client from outreach, because we'll come back and pick them up and get them to the next step. It's like, all right, time to discharge Robert. You know, he doesn't need to be admitted. We we fixed him up. He's okay. You know, he slipped and fell and needed stitches and now he's okay. And out he goes and right back. And those are, those are such great opportunities yeah. that too often are missed because the systems don't communicate to each other, even though we would be responsive. I think that's the gist of it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was actually a little more, you, you kind of caught some of that earlier stuff that, which is great. Uh, you know, yeah. So hopefully you all stuck through that because picking up on the little nuggets there of customers and then like the host. uh, So this is supposed to be a right wing think tank. We don't usually bash the right wing on here. It's just we do when it's warranted. warranted, Oh, my God. Robert Doerr sitting there saying it would be a great thing if you could access my private health records. What the right? What? What, What? Why? Why does he need access to your health records, dude? What? Yeah. What does that have to do with homelessness? I'm telling you, man, there were, I wrote down while you played that. I don't know. And he, da- he downplayed the, his response. He kind of laughed it off like, eh, but, but I don't buy that. I bet you they can't access part of it. Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt it at all, man. Uh, I mean, they he didn't want to, he didn't really want to answer we had, Yeah. I, I thought we had laws under something called HIPAA. HIPAA. Right. Right. That, that what prevented in the this. world did Dude, we just listen to, man? We listened to propaganda, man. We listened to a coordinated effort to groom us to accept further intrusion into our privacy. And I, you, nobody will ever convince me otherwise. That's all that was, man. Throat that punch was, for Robert Doerr. Seriously. Okay. So <clears throat> before we get into the specifics there, 
What is your take on the Patriot Act from the um, early 2000s after 9-11? So that, where they can wiretap anyone at any time? Right. Yeah, that's an invasion of privacy. 100%, right? American citizens, they don't need any reason to listen to you and I's phone calls, to monitor our emails. Not only do they not need any reason, they're doing it. Dude, on dude, mass listen to this. scale. So the other day, I forget what Aaron was wanting to buy. She was looking, she she wanted to buy something on Amazon. And she did not search it on her phone. Let me reiterate. She did not search anything. We were just laying in bed having a conversation. The next thing she Bing. does is she gets on Instagram and an mm -hmm. ad for whatever it was she was talking about. Talking. Yep. 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 Showed up on Instagram immediately. Just like that. Boom. Happens to me all the time, dude. Happens to me all the time. Uh, sometimes, to your point, like, yeah, you'll talk about it and it'll show up. And you can almost dismiss that as like, wow, how random, right? Right. Then there's been times where I've looked up something on like one computer. And then the next thing you know, I go to my phone and I've got both in an, like a junk email and on my Instagram advertisements for that thing. And there's not really, there's no connection between the two because the computer I'm using doesn't have anything logging into the, those systems, right? Like mm. th there's no overlap that would, that would make sense. I don't. Yeah, but but you know, and that, that's tech doing the spying. But right, the but tech to your point, but the, the tech industry, the pay, I mean, they were they were listening to what she was saying. So what some automated 100%. system was, yeah, heard and her the tech, say that the tech yeah. industry is coming up with those technologies, and they're the ones that are contracted by the government to put together programs to scour our emails under something like the Patriot Act. So my point in all this, man, is when you listen to that. And you think about the debate going on in the country right now about like vaccine passports, right? Even, dude, I've heard just a small handful of people make the point like, when did HIPAA go away at the beginning of this last year such that like, you know, you know, temperature checks and asking, you know, now you, you can't travel unless you show up with a, with a, you know, a clear uh, test or have the vaccine, right? Like, we're, we're making we're making people disclose aspects of their health just to let them travel about the country. And all of that seems like a violation of at least of the spirit of HIPAA, if not the letter of the law. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's all for a good cause because it's going to keep us safe, just like the Patriot Act. Right. Which was going implemented by a Republican. Uh, yeah. Republican Congress and Republican president. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the name right. of fighting fighting you know terrorism yeah no i mean dude right <laughs> this this stuff goes deep man and it's uh it's definitely both sides right like one yeah. of the things i take away from 1984 is the idea that uh it's all just smoke and mirrors right even dude i mean have we talked about this the idea that one day we're it's all russia 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 and the next day it's all china 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 and that's pretty much like one of the premises of the book is that one day it's all Eurasia, 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 and the next day it's all, uh, what do they call Africa? Right? There's three main yeah, supercontinents, right? And then, like, who they're battling is always switching back and forth. Anyway, yeah. going through the stuff he just talked about, one of the first things he if said. They're, if they're battling at all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're not actually at war with either of those two places, at least not at the moment, right? But they make you think that it could happen at any given time. Yeah. So be afraid, right? Mm-hmm. Data collection is first and foremost, according to Mr. Rosenblatt. <laughs> Data collection in your homelessness fighting effort is first and foremost. 
super important that you maintain this mountain of data about human beings. You heard him refer to the, them multiple times in that two and a half, three minutes as customers and clients. Again, yeah. that's, that's, that's very business oriented terminology. And again, I understand a 501c3 by definition is technically just a nonprofit business, but it's like when you say customer and client, it infers the idea that you're offering a good or service in exchange for some sort of value. Well, we know you're not getting that value from the homeless people that you're trying to help. Um, so the very next thing, well, <laughs> there was something in the, in between all he mentions in there, how collecting this data helps the city decide who's succeeding and who's failing. So it's super critical to the Bowery Institute that they make sure that they show all of this data that where they're tracking these homeless people all over town so they can keep getting funded so that they, so they can prove they're the best so they can keep getting funded. I found that interesting. Well, I would like to see the data on their bank accounts and where they're spending. All so would money. I, so would I, and I'll, I'll try to find some of that for the show notes, which by the way, I'm only two episodes behind. I'm catching up. The, did you notice how Robert Doerr just slips in? No, I, one of the two just sort of slips in there reference to COVID vaccinations in uh, the yeah. midst of this conversation about data mining and, and, and data tracking. Mm -hmm. Nobody again would ever convince me that that was a random thought. This again, totally coordinated. This is, I mean, th this is, this is like textbook mind manipulation, right? Yeah. Present all of this stuff like it's normal. In the context of fighting homelessness, which is something nobody on in the world with a heart would think is not a noble cause, right? Absolutely. But along the way, pepper it with all sorts of stuff to just desensitize you to the idea of don't ever expect again for your personal health records to be sealed and confidential between your and your doctor. Don't expect that. So Robert Doerr, do you think these guys talk about this, these two? Um, Muzzy Rosenblatt and the host Robert Doerr. Do you think they had a conversation about this? Because why would Robert Doerr on a conservative think tank podcast why would he just willingly be like, well, wouldn't it be great if you could access my private information? Yeah, man. Well, how does yes. someone that's a right-wing you know, conservative have that thought come into their head randomly? Right. I, 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 you're right. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, to answer your question, yeah, I absolutely think that they had some highlighted bullet points that they knew they needed to slip in here. There's no doubt about it. They're propagandists, both of them, and they Ugh. have been since they were bureaucrats together in New York City. Yeah. And, you know, I say they're a conservative think tank, and I'm pretty sure that's the case, but I'll double check on that. God, that's very it's inflammatory, all of it everything we just listened to mind blown uh so good good on you for that because usually when you send me ch i call them little chores for the show um like listening to that whole three out three hour rogan podcast i was like god this is gonna suck it, it didn't it was great and that's where we've got this conversation the homelessness deal um and then today i was i was like I'll listen to it, but I doubt people are going to want to actually hear it. You know, can we just summarize it for them? But it was, it was invaluable to actually hear it firsthand and just kind of how casual they are about everything of violating your personal liberty. 
hey, it's no big deal. I'm so glad you use that. I'm not, term. not only I'm, are you going to violate it, I'm going to, I'm going to make you, the listener, think that you should just willingly give it to me. I'm, I'm looking at. <laughs> oh well, uh, I'm looking at a, at a, at a. I'm trying to look up to make sure AEI is in fact. They, that they couch themselves as conservative. And this one website describes the American Enterprise Institute as a community of scholars and supporters committed to expanding liberty, increasing individual opportunity. You use the word liberty. It was, it was just, it was just spot on, right? Like where is the liberty in the idea that, 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 that uh, Rosenblatt and his comrades should be able to look up Mr. Doerr's personal health information, even though Mr. Doerr is not living on the street or those who are living on the street. <laughs> what a, so oh man the did you catch did you catch the reference to their diversified business model and all the different oh uh, yeah things that roll so into we've their got portfolio? our fingers in everything basically yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. not yeah. all yeah. about yeah. Yeah. saving the homeless but hey it's it's on the surface really virtuous what the bowery residence committee is all about but dig a little deeper uh I, and i'm sure you will i will um think maybe next week we can report on anything we find as far as how much of that 800 million they actually got oh dude I, that, that's exactly the exact thing i was about to throw there i would love to know how much of that they uh it goes to their their coffers for sure i mean so I, I have their website up and this is the little blurb about um so you know they're not pretending to be quite as quite as staunchly conservative anymore maybe as they as they used to but they are still described in multiple outlets that i just looked up including the washington post as center right but anyway the american enterprise institute is a public policy think tank dedicated to defending human dignity expanding human potential and building a freer and safer world the work of our scholars and staff advances ideas rooted in our belief in democracy free enterprise american strength and global leadership solidarity and those at the periphery of our society, with solidarity with those at the periphery of our society, and a pluralistic entrepreneurial culture. Boy, that sounds like a leftist way of trying to pretend to be free market, <laughs> if I ever heard it. Yeah. Uh, all sounds really high-minded and, 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 you know, really worthwhile. Um, yeah, man. Uh, did you have anything else specific from that little clip or just from this entire thought? before i no i just i'm glad that you brought it to our attention that here going back to what you're talking about the cia um mind control like here's your subliminal cue to give up some more of your your liberty you yeah know? i mean 100 percent, just 100 percent. you know i i think anybody who listens to this show on a regular basis probably looks at vaccine passports and is, an, and is at a minimum skeptical of them, right? There, you know, there may be people who are like, ah, dude, I mean, do I really care? I got the vaccine. If it helps me go where I want to go, so be it. But there's something inside of them that probably says, sure sounds like a slippery slope, right? Where, because what's the next step? Like, that's the thing, man, is like, uh, you know, it's so easy for somebody on the other side to dismiss your claims about this sort of thing is like, why does it even matter? Why do you care? Well, you know, it's just it's just whether or not you got a vaccine, man, and it helps the pop helps helps everybody and it yeah, do it for humanity. Blah, blah, blah. But to your point, it's like if we're never willing to say this is the line I won't let you cross, then there's no line. Mm -hmm. Right. At some point, we all there have has to be, to be a fuck, you know, that 
at some point of the day somewhere or you'll give it all away yeah right you'll give away your ability to just be a free thinking person which is what they want thought crime dude like thought crime is the perfect word for it that's what they're after that's why they won't let a conservative go on a college campus and talk about free market principles that's why that that what we were talking about last week with that uh that teacher at that school in new york who wanted to teach uh, not Thomas Sowell, um, Glenn Lowry, another brilliant world-class, like top of the food chain, black economist who happens to be a conservative. You're not allowed to teach that to the students because generally speaking, black people aren't conservative and therefore to convey or expose them to a black oh, and, our, you know, and a brilliant black conservative would confuse them. So use a white guy. Mm-hmm. Right? They, we, they might be after Biden takes away their menthols. <laughs> yeah might have some pissed off folks there i can well i mean but you're not wrong dude the yeah. movement started at the end of last year when trump got the largest percentage of the african-american vote in the last 60 or 70 years because like we've talked about in detailed man a lot of them from just a when it comes to the way that all minorities in this country live their day-to-day lives predominantly people of faith, predominantly Christian, right? Predominantly against mutilating the genitalia of children. Go on down the list, right? So yeah, you start doing things that you're admitting are deliberately targeting minorities to protect them by taking away something that they enjoy. Dude, I I don't know. I I just hope. But also they could say, okay, you've said that Menthols, the government, Biden administration has said menthol cigarettes target African-Americans. We're going to take it away from you. If I was an African-American, I'd be like, where what are they taking away from white people? Like, why are they just doing it to me? Sure. And and, 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 <laughs> and, how, and why how not is take that, away Copenhagen from all the rednecks? You know, and how, how is that not part of the quote white savior complex notion? Jeez, right? man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what about all them rednecks driving around them trucks in Texas? Take why don't they take away that Copenhagen? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you see, where do you see Copenhagen branded? At the national finals rodeo. <laughs> and pretty much nowhere else. <laughs> at right? at any outdoor, outdoor magazine. magazine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, man, I, you know, like I said, for anybody who hasn't, and my guess is that, you know, our listenership is is somewhat up to speed on the idea that the government does control try attempt to control public opinion through various media outlets. Um, The thing we just outlined, you know, maybe it is just random happenstance. It didn't have anything to do with Joe Rogan exposing the fraud, or I should say Colin Noir on the Joe Rogan episode or podcast, exposing the fraud within the homelessness. No chance that it's just circumstantial. Even if it is, man, if you listen to that crap, and don't realize that you were being, they were attempting to groom you to accept further intrusion into your privacy, then I, I guess I can't help you. Right. Like, I yeah. mean, then you're just, you're just willfully blind to what's going on. And my guess is that, um, with the way we <laughs> outlined it, most people would have a hard time not seeing that it's dude, it hit me. I was sitting there listening to it as right before I went to bed, the girls were already in bed. Ashley was like, in bed reading a book and i think i was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and stuff and because uh, you constantly I, walk around with earbuds in listening to podcasts 
Not constantly all the time anymore. Which but, I'm glad you did in this but, case. But a lot, but a lot, a lot. <laughs> you sure. brought this is invaluable uh, bit of information that you've you've brought to the, the table here today. It, it was like it was like building the whole episode, right? That was I think minute 39 that I sent you, right? Uh-huh. And so for 39 minutes, this notion had been building. And then when he hit that last stretch where door chimes in and says, Well, can you track me? Because I they really think it'd be helpful if you could track my health records. Right. That was like a lightning bolt to my amygdala, man. I was like, whoa, <laughs> there's so much going on here. Like I had already seen right through the fact that this guy was defending the fact, you know, the, the likely hundreds of millions of dollars that he gets from the city of New York to do this work. But then all of a sudden it was like, what in God's name does COVID-19 vaccine passports and this dude, this, this perfectly, probably quite wealthy guy's personal health records have anything to do with this conversation? And it all just, you know, it all just came together. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating and uh, equally as inflammatory. I mean, if you heard that and are defended or at least concerned, God help us all. But um, that's going to do it for episode 30. We will do it again next week for my good friend Chisholm Cook. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Justified Pursuit. Later. Later.